This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike, here. And today on the show, Josh and I got the chance to sit down with Matt Scantlin, one of the founders of Cover My Meds and founder and CEO of And Health. We got the chance to talk with Matt about the success of Cover My Meds, and we really got a good opportunity to focus on his new venture and why his own battle with chronic illness led him to found And Health. Early on, we talk about how Matt and his team focused on sustainability and scalability with Cover by Meds. It was fundamentally about going slow and saying, how can we make sure that we're doing things in a way that is going to make this business sustainable? You mentioned product market fit. Another great advantage of that was that by the time we were placing a huge bet, we already knew that the company was going to work. Whereas had we gone out and we said, we're going to go all in on, on that first product, let's say maybe we raised some money on it before we actually had any customers, we actually would have had a, an obligation really to ride that thing to the ground. We were able to really see the reality as it was and to say, this is okay, but is this what we wanna dedicate a decade of our lives to? Later, we talk about how Matt realized that engaging and participating in his own healthcare changed his perspective on health in general. That recognition had built up in me over time, and I realized that there was going to be no way out of this other than participating in my own healthcare. And that question was another one of those catalyzing events for me. Over the next couple of years, I started to participate in my healthcare, got way more active again. I started to pay attention to nutrition and diet, started meditating and learning ways to manage stress. I started to see that 80% of my health was actually my behavior. We wrap up with some advice for aspiring entrepreneurs and how perseverance is important when you're looking to solve big problems. The number of times that someone has been onto something and the reason they didn't succeed is they just didn't keep going is uncountable. And so know that you can do more than the world thinks you can and don't give up. As always, we hope you enjoyed this episode as I know we enjoyed our time with Matt and we hope you learned a lot. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Really excited for this one. We've got myself here in the booth. This is Mike talking to you and Josh over there. Josh, how you doing? I'm good, dude. What's the weight today? What's Tell the, the audience. Today? 159. I went up a little bit. I had a... Oh, uh, I saw it coming. I, well, I've been working out. We, but... haven't, we haven't introduced our guests yet, but I'll tell them a little bit of the backdrop. So Mike is on this, <laughs> on this voyage to get back to what he calls his fighting weight, which is like 145. And uh -huh. so we're tracking every episode what he's weighing. Where I'm and at. I, I've predicted just because I've spent more I'm than because I've spent more than six minutes around Mike that he's going to go actually up in weight, and so now my prediction's coming to life. I'm nine pounds down. Well, you know, let's let's focus weight. on let's focus on what's happening immediately. Well, I went to a bachelor party in Nashville, and that had a little bit of an impact on the diet plan. So. <laughs> Didn't go so well for the diet, but we didn't gain as much weight as I thought I would. So I'm going to count that as a win. I'm notching it up as a W, but that's enough about my weight. Let's talk about our guest today. So joining us on the show today is Matt Scantland, and Matt is the founder and CEO at And Health, a digital health company with the mission of helping people reverse chronic disease. And Health is the world's first virtual center of excellence for migraine reversal and is soon launching a virtual center of excellence for autoimmune diseases. We'll talk more about what a center of excellence even is later on this show. You might have heard of what Matt did previously. He was the co-founder and CEO of Cover My Meds, one of the largest and fastest growing healthcare technology companies in the United States. And Cover My Meds has helped millions of patients get the medication they need to live healthy lives and is widely considered one of the best places to work in the U.S. In 2017, Matt led the acquisition of Cover My Meds by McKisson, a Fortune 5 healthcare company for $1.4 billion. But today we're here to talk about how Matt started in health and he started it after his own battle with chronic disease. So we're looking forward to learning more about that story, Matt's entrepreneurial journey and health and a whole lot more on today's show. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Matt. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Josh. Great to be here. Yeah. Excited to finally sit down with you. I, was, we, I think Josh and I have been working to get you on the show for two or three years and I'm really grateful that <laughs> we finally got the opportunity and I'm already enjoying our conversation so far before the episode, but where we like to start, Matt, is just take a step back, talk about kind of how we got to where we are today. And that's all the way back to the beginning, which is, have you always lived in Ohio and everything up through like college school, like that sort of thing? Yeah. Born and raised right here in Columbus. Grew up with an identical twin brother and a sister that's four years younger and two incredible parents that taught us a ton and supported us along the way. Went to Ohio State. Always thought I might leave, but started my first company when I was 24 
and it just never happened and haven't really looked back. I love to travel. We spend a lot of time down in Mexico, mm-hmm. but Columbus has always been home and I've found it to be just an awesome, an awesome place. Were your parents entrepreneurs? No, although my dad ended up uh, joining us at Cover My Meds and I have lots and lots of learning from him. Mm-hmm. From being even a young kid, he actually worked at Battelle. You guys mm-hmm. probably know, know Battelle. And as a young kid, I thought of Battelle as where they made stuff for astronauts. And <laughs> it was such a cool experience to go into Battelle with my dad, to see someone that just cared mm-hmm. about what they were doing and about work and to see how he treated people, to see how they were transforming creativity into something that helped people, what, to see that they could make things. Mm-hmm. All of those things were super inspiring to me. And then I had a great opportunity to work with him for many years and to learn a ton from him. On my mom's side, my grandfather was an entrepreneur. He was a civil engineer and he started a engineering firm in Cincinnati that actually still exists. And they've done some really cool work in Cincinnati. And from him, I learned that you can start a business, that these things are possible. I also saw the way that his company had taken care of employees. And I saw that with our family and a a real sense of community. And that firm still exists in Cincinnati. My grandfather's passed a number of years ago, actually. And the company at this point now is, I don't know what they would say their anniversary is. It's probably at least 60 plus years at this point. That was always inspiring. And to see something that could be created by a group of people and to see that it was durable and lasted and contributed to its community was always something that was super inspiring. So I had huge advantages with the people around me from a young age. Mm -hmm. One of the other big advantages I've had along my career is the folks that I've gotten a chance to work with. And those influences have been just incredibly powerful for me. What do you think motivated you at 24 to want to start your own company? Because most 24-year-olds don't sit back and think, oh yeah, I should just do this myself. Well, I'd always been interested in entrepreneurship. As a kid, my twin brother and I, we'd get a snow day and we'd be out with our shovels. And we learned that when you do things that are valuable for people, you not only are paid for them, but you make people happy. And we always liked that. And we were creative and entrepreneurial. I worked essentially until I left Cover My Meds in 2020. I had worked continuously from when I was 12. I spent my early career, let's call it, working in bike shops Mm -hmm. from when I was in middle school and on. And in our early 20s, coming out of college, my brother and I were both really dreaming about how could we start companies. And actually, the kick in the pants was losing our jobs. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I have a number of setbacks in my life that have provided the catalyst Mm -hmm. to do something positive. And one of the things, whenever I have a setback, I try to remember it's hard. The only difference between this setback and it being a great thing for me is time. Mm -hmm. And I just need to let some of that time play out and see how that happens. But what happened is I'd had a great job coming out of college, went to school thinking I'd be a doctor, ended up being a programmer. And actually that was one of the setbacks. We can get into that in in a moment, but ended up with a great job out of school, worked for a healthcare outsourcing and technology company, learned a lot, and then went and worked for someone named Michelle Brown, who was our COO at Cover My Meds. This time I was working for her in a startup she was paid to run. That company didn't end up working, but that was another one of those catalysts. And so the next day I met two great folks in the morning and said, hey, we don't have jobs. One was a programmer, one was a server infrastructure guy. We said, let's start our company tomorrow. And it was something we'd wanted to do, but that was the catalyst to do it. And in a certain way, it seemed almost like the easiest thing to do at the time. And that's what got things started. I really like that line though, about the timing. So it's like, I've never, it's the same way I think I've thought about it, but I've never used those words to process it through my brain. And Mm. it's almost the equivalent to me of focusing on winning and losses and trading equities if you're day trading versus trading for the long term, right? It's like, it's easy for me to look at if I just took a loss and I traded in one day, but if I'm going for six months, seven months, and I can hold hold over the long run and I can look at this setback over four or five years, you know, it's going to turn into a positive. That's a great analogy because those setbacks end up being the -hmm. the energy Mm -hmm. that creates something new, that creates the spark. 
sometimes they're the thing that forces us to do what we know we needed to do. Just love those setbacks. The other thing I've learned as I've gotten older is that most of the mistakes I make are when I try to force something off of its natural path. The deals that haven't happened, that at one time I was just devastated about, that a couple years later were a way bigger deal. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have even been able to have that bigger deal had I done the first deal. Mm-hmm. Even sometimes a great employee that we, we might want to hire that we don't get a chance to hire. And that feels like such a setback. And then a couple of years later, we have someone else that's great. And we say we never would have, would have had a chance to work with that person. And so what I learn is to just try to be patient and to, to strike a balance between the importance of keeping things moving but also the recognition that most of the big mistakes are gonna be when I force something mm-hmm. to happen when it shouldn't have. And to look at the things that, that are outside of our control and say, this will be the catalyst for something positive. I may not even be sure what it is yet. Let me just try to explore that. I mean, there's so many examples of people facing adversity. The prime example I have in my head is Tom Brady because I'm a big football guy. I mean, everyone's like, oh, I can't believe they drafted Brady in the fifth round, right? But if he had gotten drafted in the first round, maybe he never becomes Tom Brady. Right. Because he was hungry and he got, he was upset that he got drafted in the fifth round. So these little things that make you feel like, oh, that was a bad break for me. It's only a bad break if you let it be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love that mindset and I love the way we're talking about that. But that company at 24 yeah. Was that covered my meds or was that a different company? No, that, that was a company called Innova Partners. And in a way, it, it sort of turned into cover my meds. What we were doing is software development. And we were doing software development because that seemed like the easiest way to start. The thing about consulting of any kind, really, is that you don't need to navigate product market fit, right? Because consulting is, by definition, we just do what someone else pays us to do. Right. And so there's no product market. And that market risk is actually, I think, the the greatest risk in entrepreneurship. And we said, let's skip over that for a moment and do consulting because at some price, there's work. Right. And that allowed us to get started. And we were actually able to go back to that first company that I'd worked for out of college and they were our first customer. And we were already starting to know the healthcare space. And so we built a nice little consulting company around really around healthcare companies. And our dream all along was to become a product company. And Cover My Meds was actually our second idea. The first one was a company called IME Base that we sold in 2014, maybe. And it wasn't a great success. It wasn't a total failure. Pretty early on, we said, let's do some other things. And the way we were coming up with these ideas is we were saying, let's just pay attention to the problems that our customers are asking us to help them solve through the consulting business. And one of those problems that we kept hearing about was prior authorization. And that's really how we got started at Cover My Meds. And that's how I met my co-founder, Sam. His name is Sam Rajan. He was an executive at our customer and an incredible guy and a, a pharmacist by background. And Sam and our company built a lot of the software that his company needed to become a Medicare Part D plan. And one of the problems that we discovered was this prior authorization process. And we got a chance to build a company by paying attention to the, mm-hmm. a problem that we worked on before. And that's how I met Sam. So in those early days, like you, you, had, you mentioned identifying product market fit. And so you obviously heard the problem going over and over again, but then identifying really how big is this problem and have we segmented the market appropriately in a way that we because you know, I, I think sometimes early days assumptions can be made that everybody operates in this way. And then you start to peel back the curtain as you're raising money and scaling mm-hmm. and you realize maybe we made some false assumptions. So when you guys identified that, how did you start to actually identify how big this problem was and that we want to pursue this with with all of our effort? Our strategy back then, and it was really a different time, particularly in, in health tech for sure, in Columbus, one thousand percent. For sure. (laughs) There wasn't capital available. And in any case, we had a bit of a DIY Mm -hmm. type of aesthetic. And our strategy was really to self-fund and to say, we're going to try product ideas when we can afford to try them by just using a little bit of the extra time that we have in the consulting business. And as the products start to get bigger, we're going to start to eventually cannibalize our consulting business and eventually it'll go away. And then when Sam joined us and when my dad joined us, we had some retirement money 
mm-hmm. to <laughs> to start to spend too, and that allowed us to accelerate things, and that brought it to even another level of risk. But it was fundamentally about going slow and saying, how can we make sure that we're doing things in a way that is going to make this business sustainable? You mentioned product market fit. Another great advantage of that was that by the time we were placing a huge bet, we already knew that the company was going to work. And whereas had we gone out and we said, we're going to go all in on, on that first product, let's say maybe we raised some money on it before we actually had any customers, we actually would have had a, an obligation really to ride that thing to the ground. And so we were able to be relatively flexible and, and to really see the reality as it was mm-hmm. and to say, this is okay. It, we're even able to make some customers happy, but is this what we want to dedicate a decade of our lives to? And the answer was no. And ironically, we put that one to the side. And as soon as we stopped trying quite as hard, it started actually growing a little bit. <laughs> of course. <laughs> a little, little, bit fa- little bit faster. And we were able to eventually find a home for it, for the company. But we wouldn't have been able to do Cover My Meds had we made the bet differently. And Cover My Meds was, in the early days, was an interesting idea about, you mentioned the size. We knew from the very beginning that the prior authorization process was a problem that was preventing millions and millions of patients from getting the medications they need to be healthy. We weren't at all sure whether we could actually solve that problem. In fact, the industry had been working on trying to solve that problem for 10, 20 years. And we had an insight, though, that we thought might allow us to solve it, which was to say, this is really a problem that happens when doctors and pharmacies don't participate in the process. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to turn the paradigm that everyone else is using to try and solve this problem around having insurance companies be silos, and each doctor needs to go work with a bunch of different insurance companies to turn the whole thing around and say, this is one-stop shopping for doctors and pharmacists so that a prior authorization for any insurance company can be handled in the same way. Mm -hmm. And that insight gave us the idea that we thought we might be able to solve that participation problem, but it was really hard to do. And it it actually took a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Every morning we'd come in and we'd say, did anyone use this? It, 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 you know, and in, in the early days of these companies, one of the hardest things I think is that sort of existential problem of like, does anyone want me? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Can I be valuable for anyone? Because I really, really want to be valuable for anyone, for someone, but I don't know if I am yet. Mm-hmm. And it's really fun to eventually learn how to be valuable for someone and to move from that existential problem to the problem of, how do we serve? Mm-hmm. And that's where we kind of are now at Ant Health at our, at our new business. And that for me is, is really the sweet spot. That's the part I love mm-hmm. where we say, okay, now we have someone to serve. We know we can do something that's, that's valuable. How can we do that? It's been a fun time here at Ant Health being at that stage. Yeah. So Josh, you got anything else on Cover My Meds? Cause I'm going to, I'm going to push us away from Cover My Meds here in a sec. Hey, I'm just curious about the patient's aspect. So it's, you know, I, I'm always trying to peel back the layers from mentality perspective of what successful individuals and entrepreneurs are going through when they're going through the creation period. Cause I'm terribly impatient and I just like, I want it to happen now and yeah. I want it to happen fast. And so the ability to sit back and, and take a loss day after day after day, or maybe not even a loss, but just sit with neutrality and then eventually start to see that traction. Like, were you just very okay with where your life was and you, and you weren't too worried about I mean, maybe because I make assumptions that the money is the driver, I guess, or the success is the driver. So maybe my question to you is like, what was driving you and, and how were you able to be so patient? It's not easy, but I think what we've learned over, over the years now, having launched a number of different products, is that you can't buy product market fit. There's actually no shortcut. What you need to do is learn how to be valuable. Mm-hmm. And that takes time. And you have to go through that process and, and you can't force that process. Whenever we try and force that process, what we end up doing is creating a company that isn't sustainable, right? Because now we're, we're solving a problem rather than by making the product better, we're solving a problem by trying harder on sales mm-hmm. or we're trying harder on marketing. And when you look at what really separates the great software companies from the not great ones is the value that they provide but that shows up in their sales expense. 
and it shows up in their marketing expense. And we see that all around us, right? And the market clearing price for most softwares is below zero. You can't get anyone to use it if you, if you go to the app store, right? How many apps are there out there that haven't crossed that existential barrier of am I valuable yet? And so I've just learned that you can't force that. And what you have to do is you just have to learn. And so how do we learn? Every day we try to get better. We try to pay attention. We try to get to know the customers. We try to get to know and build upon what we learned yesterday. And eventually we either learn that this isn't an area we can be valuable enough. And there's a lot of areas like that, or it is. And that takes time. And and my rule of thumb is it takes two years. And (laughs) it just does, no matter how good you get at it. Every now and then someone manages to find some blip in the universe where there's some super valuable way to do something right away, Mm -hmm. but it just tends to take it tends to take time. It's so interesting to hear you say that because we're, we've been going through that here at FMX for a long time where we've got a product that many different types of clients can use, but the value that they get out of it is very different. And so the problem's like kind of similar across all the industries we work with, but we found out really, you know, we've really honed in on our ideal customer now and we just wrapped up a quarter where our average deal size nearly doubled and a whole bunch of other really good stuff, but we're only seeing that because we finally figured out, oh yeah, hey, these are our zebras. There's a guy who talks about zebra, like a lot of salespeople, right? They see, like his idea is like, you got to find your zebra, right? That's a horse. It looks like a zebra, but doesn't have stripes. (laughs) That's not your zebra, right? Right. And like, you can get caught chasing the horses when really you're looking for that one particular type of person that gets the most value out of your product. So I love that thought process. And and I think it's spot on. What we're talking about doing here is changing the status quo. Mm -hmm. And to change the status quo, the bar is so high. The bar is high for me to do something different. It's high for you to do something different. Customers aren't slow. They're not silly. They just have lots to do. And so to change the status quo, you need to be 10 times better. Mm -hmm. And you can't be 10 times better for everyone. So you've got to pick who's your, I love that term. You've got to pick your zebra. You might be able to have a couple kinds of zebras eventually, (laughs) but you got to have one to start and it takes time to get there. Yeah, I won't take credit for that. I can't remember the guy's name, but it was on a podcast for Predictable Revenue. So if you guys want to find that, it's like Predictable Revenue podcast, type in zebra, you'll find it. And so so I hate to steer us from the zebra. You're going down (laughs) such a good jungle route. But if if we just talk about like you had an incredible success with an entire team, an amazing journey with Cover My Meds and your dad was along with you for part of which I think is super cool, honestly, as a sidebar, like one of my greatest motivations to try to build companies is to bring people along with me. I think hearing people do that is very cool. But your brother and your sister, what are they doing along the way? Like your brother is an entrepreneur as well. And is is he involved in Covered Meds? Is she involved in Covered My Meds as well? Yeah. So my twin brother, Pete, started a company called Orange Barrel Media. And today they have another company called Ike Smart City, both really, really successful in the outdoor media. Mm-hmm. Space, Pete started Orange Barrel a couple months, actually, before we started our consulting company. And so it happened almost at the same time. Pete went to college uh, and studied fine art, and he has married that interest in art and visual design into a really, really cool company that has said, how do we make outdoor advertising more valuable to our community? It started with, how do we make it more valuable visually? When they showed up in Columbus, which was where, where they launched, they made things look much better than outdoor advertising looked. They went from a billboard to something that was a public point of interest that made the city better. And today they've gotten really good at that. And they launched their new company, Ike, which is actually an interactive product that exists in the public sphere to help people get more out of cities. And so his business was started the same year. He and I have today our closest advisors. Mm -hmm. Um, We talk every day. I can grunt and he knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) And we have so much shared context that it's just really easy to do that. But neither of us have ever worked directly in each other's companies. My sister stays at home with her family now. She was a nurse midwife and is an incredible person and but doesn't actually work in business today. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level. And Josh and I could not be happier with the results. 
Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. We fast forward and we start getting into and health. And so do you take any time off or like, do you take a break between finishing up Cover My Meds and figuring out this new market problem you want to solve? I did take a break. I left Cover My Meds at the end of 2019. We officially started Ant Health last summer. Mm-hmm. And so let's call it 18 months. Now, of course, we were working on the ideas. And in some ways, actually, the idea for Ant Health goes back a decade. And I'd love to share how we got there. But I took a, a year off, spent a lot of it in Mexico. My goal was to do in that time was to regroup with my family. I have two boys and a wife, Mara. And at times I haven't been able to spend as much time as I've wanted to with them. My goal was to regroup with them, to do some personal development, and which was incredibly rewarding, and also to really try to decide what was next. And to do that in a way that was really open-ended, like not necessarily even do another company. I've been investing for a while. I wanted to continue to try that. I've always really valued the work that I get to do in the community, I wanted to do more of that. And then I wanted to just see what happened. And eventually we got to a point where I woke up one day and I said, I would rather build a company than do anything else. And that was when it was clear to do this again. And that day that I woke up, I was actually in Mexico because one of the projects that I worked on while we were down there was a cave exploration project. And cave diving and exploring is a passion of mine. I've been doing it for a long time. Couldn't do it. <laughs> Couldn't do it. Like, di- you're talking like underwater caves, like diving into an underwater cave? Yeah. No, they're are- diving in non-water caves. Well, how, what do you, that's called well, flying I, in a I cave. I guess that's spelunking. <laughs> no, spelunking is when you go into a cave with no water. So cave diving has to have water. And if that's, I could never I would get real claustrophobic real quick. Yeah. Well, it's it's definitely not for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> but it is a incredible experience. And one of the things that I got a chance to do in in that year off was to work with my friends, mostly that li- that live down in Mexico, mm-hmm. on cave exploration project. And our goal of the project was to explore a series of caves near our house down there. And we're making a book and a short documentary video with really the goal of just showing people how incredible these places are. And hopefully people see when, when they learn more about these, they understand the importance of protecting that, that environment, which exists really like nowhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. And they're incredible places. And so that was a really fun project and super rewarding. And I'll continue to do that. But I eventually got to the point where I said, okay, the adrenaline has worn off. The expectations of others, they, they've stopped asking what's the next company. At, yeah. the, at this point, right? The expectations of others, and, and I've really tried to say, this is a pure thing and this is what I want to do. And now that I've gotten back to it, the reward mm-hmm. has been feeling like I have my favorite hobby back. Yeah. And that has been really cool. Rather than I didn't get a chance to take a break, mm-hmm. it was just about sort of doing what was expected and, right. and now I'm in this thing again. So what I'm hearing is you didn't want to jump into a new business because that's what everyone expects entrepreneurs to do. You wanted to really jump into something because you wanted to do it. Yeah. I wanted to know that I was doing it because I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And over time, I've developed a philosophy about the life that I want to have and, and to say, I want to go on great adventures with people that I care about. And there's a lot of ways to go on great adventures with people that I care about. I can go on an adventure with my family. The Exploration Project was an example of people that I care tremendously about. They're incredible people. And that is definitely an adventure. Mm -hmm. And business with a leadership team and with employees and with customers and partners that we care about is another way to go on an adventure. But I needed to make sure that that was the right one. I got a chance by taking that time to really know that it was. And that was super cool and an incredible privilege to take the time to be able to do that. Let's go back to kind of the triggering event for the idea of Ann Health, which is, you know, there's, I actually read the letter on the site talking about your time at Cover My Meds and feeling really stressed. And that was causing some health problems for you, right? So can you tell us a little more about that and how that experience comes full circle to Ann Health? 2011, we're in year three or four at Cover My Meds. 
my first son is born and I am 60 pounds heavier than I am today, a product of consistently not paying attention to my health and allowing the behavior that I had to, you know, take someone that just 10 years ago in college had been in great shape, very active and to be a mess, pre-diabetic stress and weight issues. And I walked into my doctor and my doctor said, who is a, a person that I was a, a friend of mine and a, and a great guy. And he said, congrats on the son. When are you going to make the changes that you need to make to be a part of his life? That's and, a good doctor. <laughs> that's a good, asking the tough question. That's a sales question right there. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a sales question. And it was a question that came at the right time for me because I, of course, knew mm -hmm. that my health was deteriorating and- I had started, I think all of us eventually, if we get to that point, we have this recognition that maybe starts slowly, but then it eventually happens where we eventually realize there isn't some healthcare intervention that's going to fix this. There isn't some pill. We might get that when we get a terminal diagnosis that our, our healthcare system doesn't know how to deal with. We might get it, and increasingly, millions now, millions of Americans get it, when they eventually understand how chronic disease works. Mm -hmm. And that recognition had built up in me over time. And I realized that there was going to be no way out of this other than participating in my own healthcare. And that question was a, a, another one of those catalyzing events for me. Over the next couple of years, I started to participate in my healthcare. I got way more active again. I started to pay attention to nutrition and diet. I started meditating and learning ways to manage stress. I started to see, as most people see, that 80% of my health was actually my behavior. And at the time, you know, I was too busy to do anything other than to focus on restoring my own health. And now that has been an incredibly rewarding experience. I know that I will be a part of my son's life. But I also, at the time, did have a chance to say to myself, if I ever get a chance to do another company, if I ever do do another company, I want it to be something that helps patients to participate in their own healthcare. When I got to 2020 and had a chance to start thinking about things, and then when we started this business, it really started from that. How do we help patients to participate in their healthcare? And I actually even had a chance to think about some ideas over time. And eventually that landed on 2020 and the world had frankly had changed a lot. And really two things became much more obvious to us. One is that patients were interested in digital, mm -hmm. right? That would go back 10 or 15 years and digital was really thought of as maybe cheaper, right? But definitely not better. Mm -hmm. And that had started to change. But the other thing that started to change, and, and as I, I started to pull the management team together, a guy named Tom Blue, who's on our management team now, and then eventually more and more, we started to talk about how do you really help patients to participate in healthcare? And you start to say, well, sounds like what we need to do is help patients to understand how to change behavior. And it, isn't that actually the hardest thing in the world? So we said, well, let's start with what we know about how behavior change starts. And when you ask that question, you get led to the science of behavior change. And if I asked you guys, what will cause someone to change their behavior? What would you say? Well, the first thing I, I think of is stepping on the scale and seeing 168 pounds. So you got to have some type of motivating factor. Yeah. Right. Something that matters to you and that actually makes you want to change. So for me, like, like Josh said, I'm trying to lose some weight and trying to get back down to 145. As soon as I stepped on that scale and saw 168, it was like a shock. Like it was like a, oh, I got to get back to it. Yeah. So that's from just my internal experience, some type of shocking or life-changing event. Motivation right. that creates that motivation. That has been what everyone in this space knows. Well, wellness, you know, if you think about it, employee wellness, mm -hmm. to take 10,000 steps and we reduce your premium, right? Or a peer group or any type of a gamification. Mm -hmm. All of that stuff is working on this motivation dimension. And that is super important because motivation creates the reservoir of energy that we need to do something. But the other thing that when you start to understand how behavior change happens, you start to learn about something that we call ability. And ability is just a fancy word for how hard is it or how easy is it. And when motivation and ability come together with a prompt, 
you get behavior change. Mm -hmm. And so as we started to think about how could we make the biggest impact on health by helping people to participate in their healthcare, we said, how do we harness motivation? It's really hard to manufacture. How do we harness it? And then how do we create ability? And we ended up building Ant Health around, starting with migraine. And migraine is a neurological disease that impacts 40 million Americans. Mm -hmm. Do you guys know anyone that has migraine? Not quite a migraine, but my wife will get tension headaches, which can lead to migraines. Mm -hmm. And I've known, I think one of my aunts has gotten migraines before. So I know a couple of people and I know they're not fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, definitely not fun. In fact, if you talk to someone that, that has severe migraines, they'll describe it like having a knife shoved into your eye. Mm -hmm. So imagine that level of pain combined with incredible nausea, like you're on the worst ocean that you could ever imagine. And then couple that with sensitivity to light, to sound. And you can see how debilitating and painful this is. That creates an incredible amount of motivation. And what has been missing has been a way to address it. Mm -hmm. And for those 40 million Americans that have migraine sufferers, there's actually only 2,000 headache specialists. And so that's too many patients for not enough doctors. And, you know, even after 20 years in healthcare that I learned is that we tend to think about the size of a health problem based on the claims, the health claims that are associated with it, right? Let's add up the claims and let's see which ones costed the most money. And those are the health problems, that's actually how the whole industry really works. And so as a result of that, we tend to think that some things are a lot bigger than they are. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that tend to be associated with really highly reimbursable procedures, mm -hmm. typically in an inpatient setting. And then some things that aren't associated with a highly reimbursable event tends to look much smaller than it is. And the most famous example of this is actually mental health. If you think about five years ago, no one was talking about mental health really and yet everyone was suffering from it. Mm -hmm. And today it's hard to find a good employer that doesn't understand the value of mental health for their employees. We think that migraine is the same thing. In fact, migraine is to 22, we think as mental health was five years ago because it's lurking right below the surface. Patients for too long haven't had adequate access to care, which has meant there aren't claims. Mm -hmm. And that ends up getting reflected actually not in the second most expensive line item on the PL, but in the first, which is compensation. Mm -hmm. And so to find this health problem, you actually need to talk to a manager or you need to talk to an HR team. And that's why actually we think we're the first digital health company that's focused on migraine is because most people just sort by claims and say, that's where we start. And so we've built a, a company around, and you asked what a digital center of excellence is earlier. We've built a, a company around taking these patients that need a better alternative, that have incredible motivation, that are suffering. And then we've said, how do we create ability? Because ability is the other important part in behavior change. And one of the ways that we create ability is simply by moving to digital. Just like we can have more meetings on Zoom mm -hmm. than we can when we get in an airplane, we can touch the patient more when they don't have to take a day off work and drive into a healthcare facility, yep. right? And we all know that behavior happens in small steps over time. And so by moving from a system that is episodic and on-premise mm -hmm. to a system that is continuous and virtual, we create a new kind of tool that helps the patient to change. But we don't stop there. We say, how do we achieve a higher return on effort for the patient. So that rather than saying everyone must become an Olympic athlete, we can say, for you, the root cause of your migraine is a structural issue, say a neck or a head injury. And for this other patient, the root cause of your migraine is an inflammation issue that's caused by a food intolerance. And for someone else, yet it's insulin dysregulation. And when you understand how different those root causes are, you start to see two things. One is that you say, there is no one intervention. There is no one pill that can solve this, right? How could one pill solve a head injury in the same way that it solves insulin dysregulation? Now, we called the company and health because we're not asking people to say no medication. In fact, we think that taking the best of both is the right approach. But we instead say we can't actually help patients to reverse this condition unless we can get them to participate. And we can't get them to participate unless we make it easier. And so the other thing that we learn by subtyping the chronic disease into root causes is we get the precision 
to help the patient make a really small change. Mm -hmm. So that the person that has a head or a neck injury just needs to work on flexibility, right? The person that has a trophic factor deficient, like magnesium deficiency, they just we just need to address the trophic factor. And so it's a much smaller change that, that achieves a much higher return on effort. And that return on effort creates the, together with the digital health format, creates that ability that then couples with the motivation to make change possible. Because one of the things I've been so surprised about since we launched this company is that when I say 80% of our health is our behavior and 20% is genetics, I haven't heard a single person that disagrees with that. Mm -hmm. But what's so much more controversial is whether patients will change at all. Yeah. The reason that's controversial is that we haven't been very good at helping patients to change in our healthcare mm -hmm. system. There are some business problems though, and I think you guys have seen this. Sometimes it doesn't work because it's a bad idea. Right. Sometimes it doesn't work because we haven't done it well. Yep. And this, we think this is in the latter and we haven't not done it well because anyone's doing the wrong thing, mm -hmm. right? One of the things that I think is really important to get about why we find ourselves in this place is actually having those tools, the medication, the acute care hospitals, is that those are the tools that got us to the point where chronic illnesses were what was left after we'd solved the other problems. I'm reading right now Stephen Ambrose's book about Lewis and Clark. Have you guys mm -hmm. read it? I have not, but I, I am interested in it because I've listened to quite a few podcasts on Lewis and Clark and I'm very interested in that journey and like their whole thing. Yeah, I, obviously a complex journey and, and lots, lots of things to talk about there. But one of the things that I think is relevant for this discussion that has really been striking to me, the book has lots of letters from Lewis and Clark and these were arguably among the bravest people living at the time. Mm-hmm. And yet when you read their letters, the toughest, the fittest, right? And yet when you read their letters, it's like listening to the elderly talking about health conditions in a nursing home. And that difference between where we are today and where they were actually just 200 years ago is actually the progress that we've made. We think that this is merely actually just the next step, the beginning of a new revolution in really building the tools and creating the time in our reimbursement model that allows us to start to reverse chronic conditions in the same way that we created the success that we have around acute care and infectious disease. Yeah, there's a lot there. There's a lot <laughs> there to unpack, you know, and I think what I want to understand, because I, I mean, you've very clearly articulated the problem you're trying to solve and how you're going about doing it. What I'm curious about is how do you make that into a business? What's the go-to-market? Who are we selling to? And because with any business, right, there's an ROI somewhere. So yeah. Who are you selling to and what's the ROI for them? We're creating a business that helps employees to reverse chronic conditions. Okay. And we sell that service to employers. As a benefit. As a benefit, yeah. And employers buy the service partly to reduce the cost of their healthcare and partly to unlock productivity yep. and partly to do the right thing for their employees. Yeah. I mean, if you're having migraines, you're probably not in the office many times in a year. And if you can eliminate those migraines, you get more productivity out of the employee. Oh, by the way, that employee probably likes you a little more now because you did the right thing and got them help. So, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So how has this been received by employers so far? I mean, I, I can imagine it would be well because I think we're in the area where companies are starting. That, that cultural shift that you talked about, like companies are now realizing, hey, my stakeholders, my shareholders are not my only stakeholders and I have to care about my team and my community as well. So I'm imagining there's probably a lot of people out there who would jump on this, but I'm curious, like, how has this been received so far? Incredibly well. It's really been just incredibly inspiring how well received it's been, because I think deep down, we all know that people are suffering. Mm -hmm. We all know that people can change. We all know that we must do better. And the best employers understand, actually, that we can get you a three-to-one ROI on this program, but the best employers, I think, really understand actually that there is no trade-off between taking care of their employees and business performance. Some are interested in the financial ROI. Many are interested in the productivity and the creativity and the collaboration and the engagement mm -hmm. that gets unlocked when we take someone that is suffering in silence to someone that is now able to engage. And, you know, one of the other things that I think is really important and employers that we're working with are seeing is how big of a lever this is around DEI. The reason for that is that migraine disproportionately impacts women. 
Mm-hmm. And when we can help people that have migraine that are likely to be women to get their life back and to be able to show up and engage in the right way, not only are we helping more women be in the workplace, but we're helping more women to achieve their potential. Yeah, to be successful. Yeah. Exactly. And so that drives not only engagement of women in the workplace, but it also helps to address the gender wage gap so that women are able to take the big jobs that frankly, a lot of the migraine patients that we're talking to say, I had to frankly step back. Mm-hmm. We just finished up a, some data that we're working on with a customer and the patients that we're treating said, I was at work, but not really at work for 30 hours out of the last month. If you think about that, that's like having a week off mm-hmm. a month where I wasn't there. Yeah, And- Despite migraine not being a claim story, we talked about that. When we show up to an employer and we start talking about this, it's pretty rare, honestly, that we get through the meeting without someone around the table saying, I have migraine. Mm -hmm. It has been an incredible challenge at work and I'm glad that someone is finally taking this on and we wanna take that on for our employees. Hey everybody, Mike here. We're gonna take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. And we are very excited to partner with One Columbus. They really, really share the same vision as us here at the Conquering Columbus podcast, which is really building up the Columbus region to be one of the most prosperous regions in the United States. And One Columbus serves as the business location resource for companies across central Ohio and around the world as those companies grow, innovate and compete within the global economy. And they help us lead a regional growth strategy that develops and attracts the world's most competitive companies companies, it grows a highly adaptive workforce and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. When you started Ann Health, were you thinking at all about the long-term plan for end health? Were you thinking, hey, I want to build this thing up and let somebody else grow it to what it could be in five years? Or do you have an exit plan or strategy at this point? Or are you kind of saying, hey, I'm just doing this because I love doing this and we'll see where we end up. We're doing this because we believe in it and it's fun. Mm -hmm. And when we believe in something and we're having fun, we know we're going to do great work and we're going to build a company that's successful and that does positive things for people. And so there's no exit plan. We will build a big company when we learn how to be valuable for lots of people. While I've been in healthcare for 20 years, this is the first time I've gotten a chance to work at a company that's taking care of patients directly because this new kind of digital health company, we're part software company, but Mm -hmm. we're part healthcare provider. Yeah. I think that when you even just think about that, you can just imagine the possibilities and how cool mm-hmm. that is and, and how much success and change can happen in our system when you combine those capabilities. And so there's no arbitrary size. It's really about how for each one of those patients is actually a person. Yep. <laughs> right. And, it, <laughs> we, we, you know, in, in startup land, sometimes we can get overly focused on the numbers and on the growth. Right. And- I just remember early on in the business when we we first started treating patients Mm -hmm. and I was sitting with someone at their desk and we were looking at our app and seeing our patients who talked to us on average through our app, nine out of 10 days. And we were talking about someone that used to buy evacuation insurance Mm -hmm. when she would go on a trip because when a migraine happened, Mm -hmm. it was going to be so difficult to get out. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm seeing patients all of a sudden having someone that could support them all the time when they needed us. Mm -hmm. And it just was this profound moment where I just thought to myself, this wasn't possible before. It wasn't possible for a lot of reasons. It's been possible for a while technologically, but it hasn't been possible until we started to have these employer-sponsored digital health companies to do it economically. Yeah, And to have a business that is focused on disease reversal so that we actually are incented to have that continuous relationship with the patient. And just recognizing how powerful that was and that we were able to do that for a population of people that need it was just such an incredible experience. And so we wanna have more of that. 
Yeah. And every one of those patients matters. And so it's not really about, I think we're going to build a big company because I think we're going to do valuable things for a lot of people, but it's not about the arbitrary size. It's really about the difference that we can make yeah. for the people that count on us, mm-hmm. the patients that we serve first, but also for our employees and our community. Yeah. And if you can't find that type of fulfillment, right, where you know you're helping somebody, right, no matter what you do in a company, I think that if you want to attract good people and you want to build a company that's going to last, there has to be that fulfillment of, hey, your customer coming back and saying, this changed my life. Or patients coming back and saying, hey, I can I can go on vacation now because your, your team helped me, yeah. right? That fulfillment is something that the best people seek, right? The really good people in, especially in startups and those types of things. Like, yeah, there's a lot of folks out there that chase the money and, you know, I'm just trying to grow everything as quick as I can and get out. But I think the companies that are successful, it's because you have that vision, right? And that strong mission that gets people inspired. Making a bunch of money doesn't inspire a lot of people. Helping a billion people in the world, that inspires a lot of people, right? So I think that that's a huge concept. What other initiatives you guys have going on? Like, how do you look at potential new diseases to try and tackle? We're focused right now on having an impact for the migraine patients Mm -hmm. that we're treating. And we can do that by taking what we know works already. We've done a study in which 60% of patients that went through our study got to disease reversal, meaning if they showed up at a doctor today, they wouldn't be diagnosable with migraine at all. Yeah, That's an incredible statistic. When you mm-hmm. think about chronic disease, which we ordinarily think of as diseases for life. Yeah, what I was going to ask is like, what is the, before that study, like outside of that, right? Like, are there any other examples of like, when someone just went and visited a doctor about their migraine, statistically, how often were they reversing it? Yeah. Well, when we treat patients with chronic diseases, simply with interventions, we never reverse. Yeah. And so it's like 0%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to say at all <laughs> right. that there aren't doctors out there that are making a huge difference for mm-hmm. patients with migraine. What I want to say, though, is that we're trying to talk about the difference between disease management in which we try to slow the escalation of a disease. We try to control the cost by restricting the utilization or by reducing the unit cost to disease reversal, where we reduce costs, we reduce suffering, not by controlling utilization, but by getting patients to the point that they need less mm-hmm. healthcare. Yeah. There's a big difference. And the problem with utilization management and focusing on the unit cost is it creates externalities mm-hmm. for everyone else. Right. When we restrict utilization, we end up with patients that don't get treated at all. When we focus on unit costs by narrowing a network, saying you can go to this doctor, but you can't go to this doctor, by narrowing a formulary, saying yep. you can have this procedure, but you can't have that procedure. What we're doing actually is we're creating gaps in care mm-hmm. and we're creating a bunch of administrative waste for the rest of the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of getting to disease reversal is much more durable, much more valuable. And actually incredibly possible for lots of chronic diseases. You mentioned where are we going next? We started with migraine. Mm-hmm. We're focused on continuing. If we had an impact for some of the migraine sufferers in this country, and it's 40 million people, that's a, a company worth doing. But we know we can actually do more. We're working on launching our, our program for autoimmune conditions. Mm-hmm. We're treating five of the most common, most expensive, most painful and disruptive autoimmune conditions. And we're going to launch that this summer. Mm -hmm. We have a team of incredible scientists and doctors that are working on that protocol now. It's going to ride on our delivery system, our our technology that we already have. And so we're focused on those things. And that's, that's what's in front of us. And we know that that's going to be incredibly powerful too, because autoimmune conditions share those same characteristics Mm -hmm. of why we chose migraine. They're painful. Yep. They're prevalent. Mm Mm-hmm. Patients have tons of motivation to solve them yep. and they're addressable when we create ability to make that behavior change easier. I bet you ulcerative colitis or one of those is on that list. It is. Yeah. 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 Well, good. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I got diagnosed with UC last year. Uh, um, we'd, it would be an honor to help you. <laughs> yeah. I, well, hey, I'm, I'm in. You sold me. No, that's really cool. And, you know, autoimmune is such an interesting one because we're seeing more and more autoimmune disease, especially in what people call the developed world because hide yeah. it's like that hygiene hypothesis where we're all so clean now that our immune systems over here, like, I don't know what to do. Hey, that looks like it's got some bacteria in it. Let me go. And that's why like your immune system attacks your intestines. It's like, I don't have anything to do, but I see bacteria. So yes. maybe that's bad, right? It's like a hyperactive thing where it's like just bored. So it attacks you. That's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> so as we kind of look to the, you know, we've talked about the future. We talked about that sort of thing. What advice would you have 
for our listeners out there. I think it's a good place to kind of head towards some of our last questions. Of the yeah, show. So sure. what advice would you have for them? Uh, especially knowing that like a lot of our listeners are folks in Columbus, young professionals, entrepreneurs, people who are interested in learning about how people got to where they are today, but also a lot of people who are entrepreneurial minded out there. You know, for someone that wants to do something, anything at all, whether it's entrepreneurship or something else, especially a young person, mm -hmm. I think the most important thing we can know is that you can do it. Yeah. And it's not going to be equally easy for everyone. It's We don't all start at exactly the same spot. Some of us are going to have advantages and disadvantages, but you can do it. The big thing is to try. And because people are so much, whether you're an employee, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're someone else, the biggest opportunity for most of us is to simply take on more than we think we can today, not to do it better. And eventually, you know, if I tried to play basketball, there's a point where my physical prowess isn't going to get the job done. But that point is a long way from where I am right now in, in the sport of basketball. Mm -hmm. It really starts with doing and trying. And I think that's such an important thing for young people to understand is the agency they have in this world to make something happen, to know that the world is mostly rational, mm -hmm. not at all fair, but mostly rational. And, and when you do something valuable, good things are going to happen. The second thing I'd say, once you start that, is don't give up. Mm-hmm the number of times that someone has, and it can take a long time, the number of times that someone has been onto something and the reason they didn't succeed is they just didn't keep going is uncountable. Mm -hmm. And so know that you can do more than the world thinks you can mm -hmm. and don't give up yeah. are, I think, super, super important. It's so important. I mean, there's always going to be someone out there telling you why you can't do something. Yeah. Right? I mean, and especially it's the people who... And I don't want to. I don't want to get too much into this because I'll I'll get on my soapbox for a while. But people always lay their expectations on others, and it's the people who tell themselves they couldn't have done anything differently, they couldn't have changed, and make excuses. Like, don't let excuses hold you back. Yeah, like, that's so important, right? Yeah. If you look at it and say, well, you know, hey, yeah, there's a problem here, but how can I fix it? That's gonna, always going to bring you more results. So I, I love that advice, Matt. And I think that that's a good place to head towards our last question of the show. It's yeah, it's sure. centered around the theme here on conquering Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. So without telling you too much about why Josh and I chose that one for a show about entrepreneurs and, and leaders in Columbus, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? Yeah, that, I think that's such a great saying, live uncomfortably. Well, when we're trying to do something big or when we're trying to do something new, we're inherently doing something that's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. A lot of times leadership is something that's uncomfortable because rather than do the thing that's easy, rather than do the thing that everyone, that reduces friction, we're not optimizing for friction. Mm -hmm. We're optimizing for something else. And so live uncomfortably, I think is a great guidepost actually to in some ways follow the discomfort. Yeah, Because when we're following the discomfort, we're probably doing something that's new that may not work, but maybe the world would benefit from. And one of the ways that I have tried to think about that is to say, it gets more comfortable when I stop expecting to be comfortable. <laughs> Part of the work that I do, part of the work that anyone that's trying to do something new must do is to say, here's what we're going to try and it might not work. Mm -hmm. Or here's what we're going to try and it might not be popular at first. Because success in many ways is what happens when people that used to not believe start to believe. A big part of that pain, though, is our expectations. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm expecting the work that I do to be comfortable, it's going to be painful. If yeah. I'm expecting to be uncomfortable, it's not going to be that painful. It's just what I expected. And I like to look at that as the way that I can help share my gift as someone that is able to be uncomfortable. And I think we can all develop that gift. We can all share that with the world. And when we do, we're going to get a lot of cool new stuff. Yeah, it's a really good way of putting it. It's something that I, I don't think many people have, have captured before in this answer, which is if you embrace discomfort, it's no longer discomfort. Yeah, it's right? it's just like a cold shower. Yeah, the only reason it, it's uncomfortable is because you think it yeah, should. You're be. scared of it, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh gosh, this is gonna be bad. But like, really, it's just a sensation, and it's the same thing with new things and trying different things and, and pushing yourself. Right? If you get used to pushing yourself, then you become comfortable with the discomfort. That's right. And then you know, then that flips your mindset, and all of a sudden, you're uncomfortable when you're comfortable. <laughs> That's right. So. Now, Matt, it's been great talking to you. That. Really appreciate your time on the show today and telling your story, talking about Ann Health, cover my meds and everything else. So thank you. Mike and Josh, it's... <laughs> 
Josh isn't here, guys. So if you're listening right now, the reason Matt's laughing is Josh had a hard stop at seven. And we went a little over to seven because we had a lot of fun talking to Matt. So Josh had to take off and he disappeared in the middle of the episode. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, it, okay. We don't have to fake that one. Mike, it has been super fun to to spend the time with you. I'm glad we finally got a chance to do this. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. If you guys enjoyed that episode and you want to hear more interviews just like that one, well, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. First off, it helps us out because it really does drive a lot of things for the podcast. So please subscribe share it with your friends, but uh, appreciate you tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.